Hey everybody, welcome to Don't Sit in the Front. This week I talked to Katie Novotny. This was awesome. This was just uh, very fitting for Don't Sit in the Front. I met Katie at a stand-up show. We were at Kadi Asad and Caitlin Jeffers' show, This Is Different. And we were seated next to each other. I was there by myself, and so was she. And we just started talking, figured out that we both knew Kadi. Uh, we're talking about both being from the Midwest. She's from, grew up in Chicago, lived in New York, came out to LA this year. And yeah, we just hit it off talking about comedy and stuff. So this was really fun. You can follow Katie at Kath Novotny. That's K-A-T-H-N-O-V-O-T-N-Y on Instagram. She's got very funny reels up there. She has a web series called Guilty. And I will put um, a stand-up set of hers in the show notes. She's very funny. Um, love talking to her. This was a fun episode. Thanks everybody so much for listening. Uh, do me a favor and follow the show on Instagram at Don't Sit in the Front. Rate and subscribe on iTunes. Follow the show on Spotify, however you listen to it. Yeah, I hope everybody is starting off their December well. Hope you're able to go out and see some stand up. I'll get right into it. This is the episode with Katie Novotny. that we met so serendipitously we were both sitting next to each other at a stand-up show at Kadi Asad and Caitlin Jeffers show this is different lovely show it's coming back in maybe January um maybe February um but we just sat down next to each other started talking realized we both know one of the hosts Kadi and then we just like we're talking about how we're both from the Midwest how much we like LA but also how it was a weird transition to LA so the, Katie Navani, how long have you been in Los Angeles? I have been in Los Angeles since the end of July, 2021. Okay. So, so not very long, but does it feel long or short now that we're in December? I feel like I've been here for 15 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and then, um, we were talking, we met at that show, we exchanged information. I said, you should be on the podcast. And then you, you went in, you went somewhere, right? So you've been out of LA for a bit. Is that one of the first big trips out of LA since moving? It was one of like the bigger ones. I went down to Florida in Naples and then I went up to Chicago. I had a day in Madison and oh, then, yeah. yeah. And then I came back on Tuesday and it was just, it was different. It was, a, it was a lot to get used to again. Mm. There's a lot of, a lot of change. I don't think I even realized I knew was happening, you know? Well, yeah, but like, uh, what? So how was the transition to moving to LA? You moved here specifically to pursue comedy. Yes. Yes, this is true. And then, but you had come up in, sounds like Chicago scene, but also New York. Yeah, I did 
five years in the Chicago improv and sketch world. So mm. I trained at Second City and IO, and I did my first like three sketch shows there. From sketch, I started doing a web series. I did two seasons of a web series in Chicago. That web series got into the New York Television Festival, which brought me to New York. And then I mm. went to New York. And then I started doing stand up in New York. And then the pandemic happened two years later. And then I spent two years with my parents. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in Naperville. And then I finally made the move out here. Because, you know, are, are people have that trajectory. They're going to go to L.A. or New York. And doing it during a pandemic when everything was closed, I saw some people try that. And it's just like then they were just kind of living in an expensive place with they couldn't do stand up or do the things they were trying to do. So I feel like you timed it right. You waited. Um, But I wondered, I always like to ask people, what do you you feel differently about this scene? You were doing stand up in New York, though. Yes. But I honestly, I feel like I'm actually doing it here. Like there was a Mm. difference. Like the reason I chose New York first over L.A., was one, I was like trying to find a job to get me out there. And I got a job out in New York that brought me to New York. So I had like a more balanced lifestyle, if you will. Mm -hmm. I still had my day job. I was like still pursuing comedy, but it wasn't as extreme. And then I was starting to go to open mics when I started, but it was also in the height of me too coming up and a lot of these mics in new york were bucket mics like sign up at three get up like the show starts at four you maybe get up by 6 30 and it was just like you'd waste a whole day you know and then a lot of these guys that were there were just doing like super terrible jokes about me too and i was Mm. like this isn't a great environment for me so yeah i like retreated to i did a lot of classes i did a lot of like individual workshops and like then i like finally got on shows and like had my own show but i definitely did a weird way through the new york scene i would say Mm. You, you had your own show, I mean, like you had one that you booked and or hosted. and Yeah, I produced it at The Pit in New York. Um, mm. And it was like every month, uh, or actually it was every other month. And it was really fun. It was like a variety show. And uh, so it wasn't strictly stand-up. Mm-hmm. And that was like, that was, oh, that was my favorite. That was so much fun to do. What do you feel like you learned about stand-up by running a show like that? That's something I kind of ask people is like, cause at some point people want to book their own show and then I feel like it's always a learning process from what I've heard. Oh yeah. It's, I mean, I was producing shows in, in Chicago also, and then also like producing my own web series taught me a lot too. Mm. And coming from the improv world, I would go to improv shows and it'd be like five improv teams. And by the end of the show, you'd be like, I can't believe I'm seeing another improv team, you know? And then in like sometimes the New York shows would go be like two hours and you're like, I can't believe we're still doing the same thing. Mm. So I always like looked at it as like a, from the consumer point of view, or I'm like, what do I want to see? Like, I want to be, I want to be entertained throughout it, but I think it's really cool to like mash up a bunch of different types of comedy. Mm. And one of my favorite things to do was like curate that like 
that run that running order yeah. and like that comes from sketch too you're like okay so how do we bring storytellers into the mix how do we bring sketch people into the mix like how do we put everyone in the right slot so they perform the best mm-hmm. and that was like my favorite thing and like figuring out the right transition music so it all feels like a cohesive show like as if mm-hmm. we planned it but we didn't um so that was like, like stand up is so freaking fun, but I think it was really like embracing like other types of comedy where it could all fit in together and like deliver a really good, interesting show mm-hmm. that the audience doesn't get burnt out on. So it's good from start to finish, you know? Well, my theory running for a while was 90 minutes is the max for anything, but then sometimes I'd be at like two hour shows and it was fine, but you do get tired. You get laughed out. You get yes. your brain just gets fried because you're uh-huh. everything there is meant to all comedy is meant to give you surprises, tricks and turns of phrase and and then set you up and then knock you down and reset up the room with each new person that comes out and everything. So it's just that gets tiring, I think, on an audience. So mixing it up was definitely good. So like and then you grew up in Chicago area, too. Yeah, I'm from the western suburbs in Naperville, Illinois. Mm. So did you have a sense growing up that that is such a like improv and sketch powerhouse like that the city's kind of for comedy sort of known for that or? No, I had no idea. I didn't mm. know until I was like 23 and I I, I was very focused on like a, a quote normal career and like mm-hmm. that's like how my high school was too it was like very like academically driven and like if you you had to get a's and you had to be in the ap classes and you had to yeah. get on a roll and blah 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 so like i didn't even think about comedy until like well after graduation like college do you, graduation. Do you think some of that helps though I've kind of heard people talk about some people who pursued comedy and are very successful at it are like, um, you know, college is a waste of time. That's just time you could be doing just making money and doing sets or whatever. Other people are like, no, that that was like a time for you to sit and figure things out. Like, do you think that academic preparation helped or hurt in any way? I definitely think it helped because like for so many reasons, one, it like something I learned early on also in the improv world, like. I remember being like, all these scenes are about like comedy. Like how is an audience going to relate to that? So like being able to be a person to Mm -hmm. also make your scripts and your jokes like relatable to people is so huge. And like, I had such a, like I had such a typical college experience. Like I went to the university of Missouri. I was in Mm -hmm. a sorority. We had the big quad. Like Uh I, experienced very different things then that I would never have right now, you know, Mm -hmm, but I can mm -hmm. still pull from all of that. Um, and then on top of it, I was in advertising for 10 years. So it got me to a place where I understood how to do business and like how Mm. to accept feedback and pivot without lashing out at people (laughs) (laughs) and like what, what constitutes like actually making profits and how to get things done efficiently. And Mm. I think like when I was making my, whenever I did a project with like a sketch show or a web series, like I was the intense one that was like, it has to be like this. We got to get stuff done. Mm. Like I'll, I'll make I'll be the bad guy. And, uh, I'm like, but I like to take things to, I'm like, well, if it's not what we're doing it, we might as well do it our best, you know, like Mm -hmm. might as well get these things done. And like, we can always do a little bit of this and let's wait on that and think this through like that. But I wouldn't have that if I didn't go from like a 
academically, like the journalism school, which was very mm-hmm. like, it has to be thought through and strategic and make sense and hit these deadlines to advertising, which was the same thing in a fast paced environment. And now I have that skill set to help me with my comedy stuff, you know? Yeah. Do you have a kind of percentage, a ratio that you say you did sketch and improv before you uh, also added stand up to what you were doing? Yeah, I did. I did sketch. I did improv, like strictly improv for like three or four years. And then I started doing sketch on top of that. And then I, after I started to realize that I liked writing the jokes and like thinking like and preparing and so i stopped kind of stopped and i was i was really i was like okay at improv but i was like such a writer that i was like mm. i was so into the editing and i was always in my head and then that's the what i was gonna ask because i was like improv feels so chaotic and not the like you're the, the <laughs> yeah. business-minded one yeah yeah so like i had my moments but like usually when i had good shows i was like super hungover and like not think not thinking because mm. and that was always in my problem but I stand up was the last thing I tried, but I think because of like those seven years beforehand, I had such a good base that when I finally started doing stand up, like I had like the improv skill set that I could like riff with an audience member and I had the sketch thing, uh, like aspect to help me like sit down and write and revise and revise and like figure out how to put things together. And then I never really thought I was going to get into stand up until someone told me I should. <laughs> I was like, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. Like I, I can barely get on a Herald team, you know, like, uh-huh. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that's, were the, you, were you at UCB in? I didn't do UCB in New York because I was like, oh, if, I, if I can't spend one isn't more dollar. Like, on isn't it like th- if you were to go through the full system, isn't it like 30 grand? It's so much. And it's like, essentially, I mean, it's amazing. It's like college. It's like a pyramid scheme. Like you just keep yeah. paying your way through it all. You know? I like how I said it's like college and you were like, it's like a pyramid scheme. Yeah. It's like, wait a minute. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I use that money to do take stand-up classes. I was like, this is something I don't know how to do and like could be yeah. fun. And then it ended up being like, oh, it's perfect because I, I'm too intense for a lot of people. <laughs> So I can be intense just myself and then I can write and perfect as much as I possibly want to and put all these pieces together. Probably scary, but was it also liberating when it you could start to do it like it, I'm in complete control of what happens up here? Oh my God. Fine. Like, yeah, finally. Like it was mm. terrifying, but it was just like, and now I don't have to worry about like pushing someone else too hard and making them break. Cause like that was also one of my problems. I was like, well, just keep going. Like, why don't we all want to be working on this all the time? And everyone's like, mm-hmm. we want to live. And I'm like, no, you know, like, it's just, <laughs> <laughs> so now I can just do that to myself. Instead yeah. of <laughs> Perfectly healthy. Yeah. There won't be any repercussions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Everything's totally fine. I lived a very balanced lifestyle. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm curious and I want to poke at it just because everybody's like, what's the difference between LA and New York? But you also did comedy in the three big centers of it. Kind mm-hmm. of. So, um, moving out here, doing open mics, book shows, things you could do it while in the short time you've been here. What are some of the big standout things you're like, oh, this is kind of different. Well, honestly, like this seems like a, a lame first response, but the fact that open mics you slotted here was like a game Wait, changer for explain, me. Explain, explain for <laughs> yeah. for me and the listeners. So slotted is like a sign up tool, and most mics have like 
two to three hours of 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 mics of like hours so it's like two to three there's like 10 stand-ups three to four there's another 10 and then four to five there's another 10 Mm. and i know there's a big hubbub about the pay to play with the slotted but i would much rather pay five dollars and get my name in know i'm gonna get stage time know i'm gonna get an audience that is actually paying attention Mm -hmm. to me and then be on my way because i hated spent wasting away in those in those like slot those other bucket mics in new york because it was like half the time it was like you the the list goes up at five but to be on it you have to get there by four and you're like how it's a it's a thursday afternoon like i can't leave work to go mm-hmm. wait for five minutes for where no one's gonna listen to me because i'm a girl like i can't uh-huh. i don't have the time for that mm. um so that is like a massive difference and it makes me want to go and do it more because I know it's worth my time, you know? Mm. Um, so that's been really helpful. I think um, a difference between LA and Chicago, like I didn't do stand up in, L- in Chicago, but like improv is such a community and you're, it's like built in and it's, it, it can get a little cult like, but mm-hmm. like you have, a bunch of people that are so passionate about make believe and you're having so much fun that like you just, you go somewhere and you're like going to meet friends and you're going to be asked to hang out and you're going to like, you don't really have to try that hard. Mm -hmm. I think I, you have to do a little bit more digging to find the good communities here. But then when you like, like, pan out, it kind of makes sense because there's so many different types of standups and like, Mm. there's like, the, and everyone deserves to have their own type of community in the stand-up world too. Like, it's not just like everyone's an improviser. It's like there's mm. a specific voice that everyone's going after. There's the indie, there's the, like the, the blue, there's the, the relatable, there's the, mm. the there's a one liners. Like, so it just takes a little bit more time. Yeah. Um, so I've noticed that, um, but it does feel overall more accessible out here so far. Mm-hmm. Um, that it was in New York. And I don't know if that's a mindset change where in New York, I was like, I'm not good enough to even go to these things, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, and here everyone's like, get up and try. Why not? You have nothing to lose. And I love that. <laughs> like, yeah. That's so freaking helpful. Cause it's, people, it's, a, it's a mind fuck, you know? Yeah. People talked about the New York, like hustle mentality. Cause there were so many more places and days of the week you could do sets if you really wanted to like, I wonder if that's part of the mindset change just because, well, I don't know. That's just like the big stereotype of LA. Everything's more relaxed. The weather's nice, all of that. I think it's part of it, but I also think that there's like so many other ways to be creative out here and to use mm. your stand-up skills. Like you can be writing for a show. You could be auditioning for a commercial. Like there's so many different ways. There's way more outlets where, and part I'm seeing that now because I'm more full time in this, but mm-hmm. in New York, I was like working a full time job. I didn't have that much free time if I, so I had to be very particular of like, like I would only, I would aim to have two week, two shows a month. Like that was what I could handle. And like, I would go to like, I would make sure I had a, a workshop with my comic friends to make sure that the set was like good enough. Like I had a much different process out there to make mm-hmm. sure I could do it because I had much more limited time. And then you're, you're not driving, you're not on a subway train for 45 minutes 
to go do a five minute set and then 45 minutes back. Like it was just a very, it's a different, it was set up much differently too. And Mm -hmm. I was way more afraid in New York of, (laughs) I was so afraid, but also I think the pandemic helped me be like, fuck it. Life, I could die tomorrow. Why not? Yeah. (laughs) I'm always trying to like carry that. There was a definite feeling of that early 2021 trying to like keep that going through the rest of the year where they did have those moments where you're like who the fuck cares like (laughs) everything's going to shit and we could die just try whatever (laughs) who cares that's like why i started the podcast i was like fuck it exactly exactly like i remember may 2020 i think it was may it was early may because i had left new york to escape death and then i was at my parents house and I was so sick and every, all the doctors thought it was COVID, but it was really just a really bad sinus infection. Mm-hmm. But I was, I was riding that. I didn't have a fever, but every day I was like slacking my boss, like it's up to 101, you know, yeah. like, oh, I can't, I just can't make it. And then I was like, man, I guess it wouldn't really be that bad if I got COVID. I wouldn't mind losing my job. And then like three days later they cut our entire department and i was like oh my god (laughs) i spoke it into the universe and now it's here and now and then i was like fuck it like that's what i wished for and you always say like if you had more free time to write you would do it like fucking do it then you know that's very good prep for la you you were manifesting everybody talks about manifesting oh yeah (laughs) i did it before i even thought it was cool yeah Oh, yeah, and I remember, yeah, we talked about that at the show uh, before the show started. Of like, that's the priority check where you're mm-hmm. like, well, maybe I could get COVID and then I would have all this time. And then it's like, whoa. <laughs> you're like, that's fucked up. Like, uh-huh. I'm wishing for, like, there was such a sign. I was in such a toxic environment at mm. work, too, where like, no one gives a shit about me or my skills. Mm. Um, Something so- else was very telling, too. I remember because um, we were talking, we were just sort of talking about the things you like talk about when you meet somebody new. So I was like, uh-huh where uh you live and i won't like fully dox the neighborhood but i remember you saying like it's so quiet and i'm like that's not like known as a quiet place for la people (laughs) so i was like where is she coming from (laughs) no freaking brooklyn (laughs) just chaos like that's what i was comparing it to absolute chaos outside my windows at all times and when i was there i was like i love it this city is so energetic you know like (laughs) There's always something going on. <laughs> and mm. then when I went back there in June, I was like, I'm going to have a panic attack. I got to get inside. <laughs> yeah. Out here is like if somebody like if you meet, if you have the rare thing where you see someone on the street that, you know, almost never going to happen and then <laughs> run into them and then they're like kind of talking too loud in the morning. That's going to be like, OK, <laughs> let's take it down a notch. Like L.A. is a very different vibe, I think. I, I I haven't spent significant time in New York, so I don't know. But yeah, no, I was talking about that actually when I was home over break with a other ex New Yorker who was moving out here, and I was like, yeah, I was like walking to the coffee shop talking to my dad on the phone with my backpack on, and I got so many weird looks. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's like, "Where's that child going at this volume and at this hour <laughs> of the day?" And I'm like, "Well, it's eleven, but." Like, mm. <laughs> I want to use, I want to walk to the coffee shop <laughs> instead of drive. I do ask every comic I have on the show where or how does where you're from influence your comedy if it does. <laughs> I feel like I actually know the answer to this now. I don't think I would have known it 2 years ago. So this is also like a pandemic learning. Mm. Um 
I, the self-deprecation of the Midwest, which I think you're familiar with, is like literally sometimes I have to like pull myself out of it to be like, okay, let's just have like just a funny joke. Like not like, let's not take a hit on yourself, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, and it's very hard for me to do that. But so, but it's like also why I, but I also love, like, I love the Jim Gaffigans and the John Mulaney's and the Mike Birbiglia's like Mm. there's and the Conan's like, I know Conan and Birbig's aren't from the Midwest, but like the Catholic upbringing of like, yeah, you're such a piece of shit from the moment you're born. Like good luck out there is very, very present in my world. Um, so Midwest plus Catholicism, I feel bad about everything all the time, including myself. Um, and then like, I have this affinity to, uh, authority. I hate it. And it got me in trouble a lot as I was growing up. And so like, I think, that's I start I like talking about being like what it's like to be a, a woman in the world but not so like hitting it over the head I guess like mm-hmm. I'll tell stories about my gyno appointment on stage or like how I got a yeast infection riding city bike you know like uh-huh. <laughs> like I like to have it come up organically not just like the the more explicit like vagina joke so to speak mm-hmm. um like there's places for it all but mine's just i just like having it more organically and also that also is the midwestern like i can't talk about it too loud you know yeah like, i'll tell you a story and i'll tell you what my political beliefs are but just like you gotta listen and it's yeah, there'll be breadcrumbs there'll be breadcrumbs you gotta figure it out yourself because that's too rude it's too rude to say it blatantly but then other mm-hmm. things i'll i don't care about you know um so it's definitely, it's, I definitely know it now. It's like the, the self-conscious Midwestern tomboy is like, uh, <laughs> that's like how I, like what I call, you know, that's just who I am. It's just how I grew up. Yeah. I watched, uh, I tried to do my research. I went to your website and I watched, you've got a really funny seven minute set up uh, at Second City. I think is somewhat recent. It's kind of like right before pandemic starts. So like, as I've been doing this show, I talk to people and they've got their like January, 2020 set. Like we're going to fuck it up this year. And yeah, and it's really good. And it's always just kind of a funny thing to go back and look yes. at. Like, yes. um, but I, I, but if you're cool with that, I'll put the link to it. I really liked that set. And I yes. think I, I think it captured what you're saying there. You talk about church a bit, you talk about softball, other things like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that set, I, so I got into the uh, HBO women in comedy festival with that set. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, 2020, you suck my dick. <laughs> like, I remember applying to it when I was, cause I got ankle surgery. I think I told you about this at the show too, like in mm. January of 2020. So I was like, I was like half like coming off very hard drugs and I saw the deadline was, was like tomorrow. And I was like, fuck it. I'll just try. And like, again, altered state of mind, like let's me mm. try things. Like, <laughs> it's like I need to be relaxed to believe in myself, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And then I was like, so excited. And I was like, mom, dad, like you'll finally be proud of me. You know, like I'm doing it. And then obviously this whole thing happened and everyone has their own version of that story. But yeah, mm. that's, uh, that's but how was going back to live with them? Oh, I mean, I, <laughs> I, <laughs> I have a very good relationship with my family. Like yeah. I love my parents. They're they're My mom's a drama teacher. Mm. So she's always been very supportive of me doing all of this. 
my dad was the one that was like, you're not majoring in creative writing. Like you're not going to make any money. And I was like, okay. So I majored, I did journalism instead. Um, and he was right. You know, like I got here, I got here eventually, but, um, (laughs) but the, there was like an extra layer. So I, my mom also has transverse myelitis, which is kind of like MS, Mm. um, but it's not as degenerative. So for, like so she's had it since I was in seventh grade and she went from like walking with a cane to walking with a walker to then in 20 January, like right after I had ankle surgery, she broke her leg. So mm-hmm. she'd been confined. She'd been in her scooter, like little motorized scooter ever since. And then I moved back and she was like, just got out of rehab essentially. Um, and our house isn't ADA accessible. Um, so there's a lot, I mean, there's, my dad has done a lot around the house to make it better, but like the transition from walking around the house with a walker and being able to like stand up and cook things to being confined to a scooter, like it's just light years different. So I kind of took on a caretaker slash like wife role. Like my dad and I were essentially like the co-parents, like helping, making sure that my mom was like was okay every day you know mm-hmm. like getting her back up to normal and then like i'm cooking every night and like cleaning and doing all these like i like i was like i was like you guys i went from a single gal with a one-bedroom apartment in new york city with all their dreams in front of her to a homemaker like i didn't yeah. ask for this <laughs> this is the opposite of what i wanted if i wanted to live in the suburbs of chicago right now i would be mm-hmm. um but like, so it was like, that just comes with a lot of challenges, right? Like you're trying yeah. to, you're not only just trying to figure out how to live together. You're like, how do we manage this house in a whole new way together? And mm-hmm. how do we, and like, also my parents are a little bit older and I'd be like, stay in the house. You t- stop, stop, oh, like, yeah. stop leaving, stop going out. Mom, you don't have to go into office max for the paper. I will go pick it up curbside, you know, like sit yeah. your ass well did and then i don't know how things were in chicago suburbs but was it also like covid wasn't real there i mean i because i have like friend like most of my family and friends back in wisconsin rural areas it was like covid's not real uh madison it's like lockdown (laughs) very different depending on the county you know so yeah it definitely depended on the county and it was like it wasn't as bad but like Chicago is like 45 minutes away and it was really bad down there. So it was like, it's not that far away. And also remember when you guys were begging me to fly home and get out of Brooklyn because you were afraid I was going to die. Can you remember that? So when you don't go to Jewel for the third time in the day, you know, it's just like, it was a lot of like, I remember I, me and my friend, um, other actor comedy friend from Chicago who also was living in New York um, and he also, we both got laid off around the same time. Mm. And so we did a web series, uh, oh, over, yeah. over the, over the pandemic about it. Just, we called it wellness check. And it was like checking in on each other every week. And one of them yeah. was our parents because we'd be like, how did you get your parents not to leave the house? And <laughs> we, were, we were joking of like, why don't we just set up the basement like coals and like, let them go and play like yeah. there <laughs> and like, let them pretend like they can shop, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> Is this going to keep you satisfied? I felt like, I was like, I don't know what has happened. Well, what do you think that is? Is it like because our generation is so scared, like rightfully so, but but maybe a little too much? But like, 
they had this whole different, I, like I dealt with it with my parents a little bit. They had this whole different, they're not as afraid of dying. And I was just kind of like, I couldn't wrap my head around that. I know. I know. Well, like, like, I don't know about you, but I'm not done yet. Like I, <laughs> there's a lot of things I want to do. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm, I'm, I'm ready to keep going. You guys. I mean, mm. I asked my mom, uh, I was like, I, cause she was like, you know what? And like, I understand her point of view a little bit more. Cause she's like, she was like, my body has been through a fucking every gut at the worst things. Like I yeah. have tried to battle every single day. I do not care. I just need to get out of this house like mm-hmm. to survive. Like that was like, and I'm like, okay, well, like if I haven't really been able to walk by myself for the last 25 years, I don't know if I'd give a shit what you think. Like I, this is this is like, yeah, you're scared to do this. Like I'm scared if someone's gonna like, if I slip on ice and fall, you know, like th- there's like such a different subset of like considerations that mm-hmm. they do every day. That's very different than us. And then my dad is just like very classic, like, I guess, boomer, you would say like, oh, I've, I grew up and it was harder than this and I've survived and it's fine and I'm smarter than everybody so I can figure it out. And mm-hmm. I'm, like, yeah. I'm a tough guy. I don't need, I don't need to worry. You know, like mm. he barely goes to the doctor. Like I had to, I had to like, I had to convince him that I, I told him I would clean, help him clean out the garage if he went to get to the, his blood pressure checked. Mm. uh when he turned 60 like that was, Oof, was like, i'm awesome. already looking at mine <laughs> god dude you're killing me mm. just, i just don't want you to die but okay we're in the kind of talking about home and parent space so this is a good point for me to ask a question i ask everybody is uh, what is your earliest memory of liking stand-up and for you it might be like i said it might be earliest memory of liking sketch improv my parents like they're have their moments of being funny, but they like had really like classic tastes in stand up. Like this is a terrible example, but when we were younger, they gave us Bill Cosby cassette tapes. They're like, it's the best thing you've, you've ever heard. Yeah. My mom gave, and then like Steve Martin, like my mom loved and then like love Steve Martin and Martin short. And they introduced us to um, all the Mel, not Gibson. Help me out. <laughs> Mel Brooks. <laughs> Mel Brooks. We very all- different figures very different. and uh, very diametrically opposed. Very young Frankenstein. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a different film. Yeah. Um, but we watched all of that. And like, like Robin Hood Men in Tights was like our family's like favorite movie. Um, mm-hmm. We quote that stuff all the time, especially like young Frankenstein, like walk this way, you know, like mm. mom thinks it's hilarious. Um, well, she loved like Gilda Radner and stuff mm-hmm. like all these amazing women. I love Lucy. It was like that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was always like in the, in the world of our like family stuff that we would do together. Mm-hmm. But I was never like, I'm going to be a stand up. I'm never, I was never like, I'm going to be a comedian. Like that was never really an option, you know? Mm. But what was the moment where you were like, I will try that last year. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're, you're doing sketch and uh, improv for a long time. Yeah. I think it was, I will, I wanted to, I was like, I want to get in advertising cause I love writing and you can like, you can talk to the masses and you can really make a change. And like one day I want to write the best Super Bowl spot that you've ever seen. Like uh-huh. I'm going to be the first woman to make the country laugh. And then I got my first job, like my first full-time job in advertising. It was at the small startup 
in Denver and it was the worst. It was the worst experience <laughs> of my life. And I was like, I hate this industry. And I was like, good thing. Good thing. It's my first job. And I like, oh, hate yeah. it. and then I started, I was like, maybe I could like do what I want to do in like other ways. And then I started taking improv from there. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's like when it started, like, opening a door a little bit and then like I don't think I like fully thought I could pursue it until um like like actually until the second season of my web the web series that I did which was also about Catholicism mm. um what's the web series and how do we watch it it's called guilty and it's on YouTube if mm. you google guilty web series um the first season we shot and it was like a lot like more like sketches and a lot shorter and we shot it in a weekend. And then the second season, we really like took more time to like craft stories and mm-hmm. make it more like a, a series. Um, but that one was so fun to do. I mm-hmm. had, had a ball doing that. As a performer, what type of show or location feels like a home game and what feels like an away game? Oh my God, that's such a good question. Holy shit. Um, I, I literally just said this to one of my friends out here that like the the third time I go to an open mic, I feel like it's a home game now. But mm-hmm. the first time I go, it feels like an away game and I'm always nervous and it takes me a little bit to warm up to the people that are there mm. and like find my footing. Um, but when like I've been doing, I've been putting on stand up shows in Chicago, like when I come home for the holidays, like the last couple of years, and that is like a grand slam. Like you know what, like it's the perfect place to do like your best material because you know it'll hit like twenty times harder. Mm. But it's also the perfect place to do material where you're like working on it, like working on some stuff because like people are gonna laugh anyways because like they're along for the ride. Um, so I like, that's when, when I'm in control of like the show, like when I, like, I feel the most relaxed and then when I don't know anybody and I haven't been to the venue, I'm a fucking wreck. Like it is, uh-huh. it is, it's, it's very terrifying. <laughs> well, is that because you moved to different scenes? Like now you're here, is that, that's going to be a lot of the first times that Mike's here? Oh yeah. I'm fully mm-hmm. expecting everyone to hate me the first time I go to all <laughs> the bikes. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, well, I mean, like I just got to keep, you know, I'll go back a second time. It'll be a little bit better. And then the third time they'll, they'll, I'll start warming them up. But like know? some of them I hear about, some of them I hear about, like, I've not personally seen this, but just someone goes up and is like, the fact that you are going up and you're doing bits, you're doing like stand up is already going to give you such a leg up to not be hated by the room because some people go up and just have the weirdest kind of, they're going to give you their like whole racist screed about whatever, or. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I've seen those. Yeah. (laughs) So I don't know, for me, I'd always be like, well, I'm not doing that. So I'll I'll be fine. Yeah. I have, I've had people tell me multiple times. I, so many times that I wrote it on a notebook paper and put it on my uh fridge because i was like Mm. you need to remember this it was like no one remembers your set they're only thinking about themselves right i "I need like because i'm like i i'm such a people pleaser and i always want people to like me and like i always like making friends more than i like making like connections and like networking Mm. so like I'm like, I, I just want, like, I, it would be, you don't have to like my stuff, but like, do you want to hang out? You know, like, mm-hmm. I, like, I, 
was so worried that every time like you, you do the thing where you go up and afterwards everyone's talking and exchanging Instagram handles and stuff. And then I would panic that like, they'd look, go on there and end up hating me, you know, like I was like, well, like that's not good either. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I think a lot of it is like, I don't, it doesn't matter if I'm doing bits or not. I just think I just am so uncomfortable in front of new people in the stand up scene for some reason. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it, I do like, I have a theory that it traces back to Chicago. Cause like, because I never got on any of those teams, like mm. those house teams that I was like, never like good enough. Like, or like I was never funny to everyone else. So like maybe I'm probably not. And then, but I just need to, I need to get over it, but it's very difficult. Mm. <laughs> like it's, it's, I'm always in my head. What do you think is the best environment to see stand up? What kind of room? Oh, well, it works and it doesn't work for you. That's a great question. I think I do like a smaller venue. Like I do like it when it's a little bit more intimate and the room feels full. And with that being said, like I've done a lot of like basement shows and you're like, like dirty, gross, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Are we all going to get murdered down here? And like, uh -huh. so like there's that version of it, but I think it's more about or it's less about like the room than however the show or mic opens. Like I've been at mics where if you have a first person that goes up and they're just like so inviting and welcoming everyone, like the audience just like naturally, like even the comic audience, they're like, all right, we're doing this. This is going to be fun, mm -hmm. you know? And then if like the host is a little bit less warm on a show or not paying attention to the little details it kind of sets the tone for the rest of the show like mm -hmm. even a, sh a show i did <clears throat> i did a show like when i first got out here and the there was like a table in the back talking the whole time but the host never addressed it so then when i got up i could barely hear myself and i had to, I had to like address it and i was mm. like that sucks because if the host was in control of the room, maybe that wouldn't have happened. And like, everyone's would have felt a little bit more comfortable. Yeah, um, the host has to be the bad guy. Yeah. And like, yeah. that's, you gotta be cool with that. And that's totally, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I did corporate, corporate presentations forever. So I love being that person, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, can you please shut your laptop? Thank you. You know, like, <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't mind. I don't mind it. Mm. This is a, uh... I'll ask it this way. Never blame the audience, but blank. Oh, that's interesting. That's so interesting. I, I, I don't know if I have a, but because let me make sure that I'm, I, I believe in this before I say it out loud. Well, you just said right there, that'll solve all the problems. Like, <laughs> let me see if I believe in this before I say it out loud. 99% <laughs> of people have never said that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think I do. I'm like, I'm like 90% I do. I can stand behind this 90%. Like, and this is why I think having like all the background that I have in theater, like I, that I like, I'm, I'm glad I did it before I did stand up because live theater, it's like stand up is also live theater, right? Like <clears throat> you have to understand how to take the temperature of the room. You have to read what's going on there and you got to kind of adjust. It's the same thing of like, you're a new person walking into a group, a, a new group of friends. Like, are you going to, you're not going to be, a, well, I wouldn't be a thousand percent myself. I want to see how everyone's doing. Are you more of a quiet crowd? Do we want to talk mm. on this level? Like, 
do we want to have more of a conversation or are you like rambunctious and you want to fucking party? And like, I can do that too. And part of being able to like be better next time is like Mm -hmm. taking those learnings and mixing them all up and doing it again the next night. Right. Like going like musicals, it's the same thing every single night. And so like the audience is just the audience. And it's like, it's not like, their fault if it's they're tired because it's a friday you just gotta be like well that was like we did we did the transitions we hit this and maybe we punch this up a little bit and then you try it tomorrow and then you punch it up and then they don't like the punch up so maybe that was like the outlier it's like all a data collection too if you want to be on stage and in front of live people like be flexible like go with it like it's also this, like also when you're pitching, like read the room, like is everyone is everyone engaged? Are they on their laptops? How do you get them to not be like you bring handouts so people can go play along? Like there's all these little tricks that you do in front of a, a group of people to keep everyone on board. Hmm. And like if they're really fucking drunk, that is like annoying. I think that's the only but it's like the table that I'm thinking of from like two months ago, like they were there, they should have just gone out to dinner. Like they should have went to TGI Fridays and had a all you can drink buffet, whatever. And like, that's not, they're there to support their friends, you know, but that's like, it just happens. And the waitress doesn't want to say anything because then it could affect her tip. Like, but then mm-hmm. the, the owner of the club doesn't want to say anything. Cause what if they don't come back? And then the host is off, like not paying attention, but like, Sometimes that happens too. So it's like, yeah, like the stand up scene industry, whatever might need it to survive. But I'm a very much like stand up, not a date activity, not a thing to go like you haven't seen your friend in a long time. Yes, exactly. Like, that's exactly. what coffee, dinner, everything else, bar is everything else is for. Exactly. It's a good date for like the third or fourth to be like, are we laughing at the same things? Cause like, <laughs> and are you laughing at the, for the right reason? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> um, that was a but, really long winded answer, but I think I stand, I do stand by it. I yeah. Do. You believe in it. I I'm do start believe practicing that. that more. Do I believe in this before I say it all? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> you can find that on a pillow near you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is, um, I have it listed as memorial question, but that's not right. That's she's very much alive. This is from Kadi Asad. She uh, she gifted this question to the podcast one time when I asked for new questions on um, Instagram. Amazing. What topic do you find yourself writing about the most, and why is it your mom? And why is it your mom? <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. For my particular, like I I rarely talk about my mom's disability in my mm. stand-up because I haven't figured out how to make it funny yet. Uh-huh. I talk way more about anxiety and like depression and uh like Catholicism. Like I, I do that the most. I think like I was like like I did a whole one woman show on Catholicism because I mm. couldn't fit it all into a type five. Um and how much it screws with your head. Um do you ever do you ever listen or watch anything like Pete Holmes talking about religion? I know he's kind of a divisive. I know. I used to be a big Pete Holmes head. Um, and then like I had to stop listening to his podcast because I was like, you just talk over people. I can't uh-huh. um like I I do love I do love talk like listening to religion stuff. I think it's fascinating. And mm. especially because like 
I loved my, my childhood. Like I really did. I loved growing up in the church. I had, I learned so many values. It taught me so many good ways to move about the world. Um, but I mean, the reason I don't like to go to church anymore is because the people that taught me it are hypocrites. So uh-huh. it's like, yeah. you, you taught me this. Now you're bad that I, I give my money to people that are different than me. Like screw you. That's what I thought we were supposed to be doing. Yeah. I feel like Catholic friends, coworkers, acquaintances, all that, um, or who grew up Catholic but are not practicing now, they still seem to have this like this pull or they're interested in it. They like can't quite either either they are still kind of spiritual themselves or they just can't fully rip the band-aid off because of how integral it was to their like their whole subjectivity and their being, it just shaped who they are. Yes. So they might, it's like a love hate thing. It seems like yeah. that's why I say everybody who's Catholic, I didn't grow up Catholic should watch um, midnight mass. I just want to hear what Catholic people think about that. Oh, you, the, scary the, the, one? the scary one, but it's, it's all about Catholicism. I, I, re- I recommend it. recommended that to me. I'm a, I'm a real big scaredy cat. So yeah, I, it's pretty I, creepy. I watch it at like 11 a.m. with like five other people, but yeah. <laughs> it's, it's kind of hard to find. <laughs> yeah, but I did watch the first episode with two other people. So mm. yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it seems like it's gonna be. It's not like I remember being like, "Oh, this is gonna be sick," because I could already see the themes that they are gonna play with. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, well, that's related. I ask, what do you have? Have you ever seen a representation of stand up? And I would add the asterisk uh, sketch and improv that you feel like nailed it or said something interesting about the form. I just want to ask you, like, have you seen Don't Think Twice? Did you yes. like it? Loved Don't Think Twice. Mm. Big, big fan. Um, I love Mike Birbiglia and everything he does mm. so much. I just love how he can storytell and also have like really good jokes within the storytelling and I love that Ian uses like live theater and so jealous of his career. Um, (laughs) I invited him to the screening of my one woman show on Instagram. I was like, this is a long shot. This is during the pandemic. Mm. I was like, let's go for it. Um, But I love, I loved that because I think it showed how people get into improv and like mm-hmm. how it starts and how it changes throughout as you get older. And especially at like, I'm 33 now and I have had really good friends in the improv and sketch world that I I'm just like in touch with now because like it was, it wasn't the life for them, you know? And like mm-hmm. you grow apart because of that. And or there was like, you get in a dumb fight about a sketch show when you're 24 because no one knows how to like talk to each other. And then you're like, oh, well, I guess I lost a friend that way. And that sucks too. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like people stay in it for different reasons or realize that like it is it is what they want to do forever or it's just a hobby. And like, how does that change and butt heads as you're trying to build a life for yourself? Like you can't necessarily have kids going on an improviser salary all the time, you yeah. know, like how do you, it, so it's like priorities shift, but still bonded by the same thing. I thought they did a really good, amazing job showing all of that. And like what mm. happens when one of your best friends is popping off and you're like, how did, did I do something wrong? <laughs> like, am mm. I not good enough? Like, 
oh, it was, I think I sobbed in that theater. I loved it. I loved yeah, it. Yeah, so it's like sappy, but that final scene where they're all, they're in like that new, that old space and they're just kind of like, you see them kind of getting into yes. playing an improv game. And yes. I was just like, yes, like, I'm yes. not even in that world and I feel very invested. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that movie was so good. I'm trying to think if there was another one that. Well, any representation of stand up that you feel like said something about it to you or seems relatable? There's very few examples, so it's there are kind of examples. like. Eh. I mean, I watched. I guess it's not. It's not like a. I really liked the that doc on Prime that came out like two years ago. Mm. Was it like I think it was like the people like trying trying out for JFL. Um, oh yeah, I have not seen it, but that was really cool, mm-hmm. and I think it showed like so many different aspects of why this business is so hard and like mm-hmm. when it's like if people are looking for one thing and you're just not that one thing at that one time it just feels devastating but it's like you can't give up on your thing because like what if they are looking for your thing tomorrow right yeah it's so very cool and then honestly i do think obviously not a hundred percent about it but i really do love the mrs mazel world that they built because mm-hmm. mainly because it's like showing how the barriers as a woman in stand-up like in a very different time is so similar to what's going on today still even though it's 2021 like yeah it's like i remember i got into not an argument but i was i was back home in the midwest for a wedding shower Mm -hmm. and someone someone was like oh she does stand up and one of the moms was like oh do you do you watch mrs mazel and i was like i do and she goes i don't like it and i was like oh okay (laughs) (laughs) it's not i didn't think we were doing this but all right and i was like oh why why don't you like it and she's like they don't focus at all on her being a mother like what does she do all day she what does she do with those kids and i was like oh that's why i like it because she's more than just a mother like she it's clear to me that she's still taking care of her kids or else she wouldn't be able to go do these things and it was just like silence like amongst the appetizers <laughs> and i was mm-hmm. like okay <laughs> you know bye <laughs> like it was so well, like it was so fast that woman at the the shower is she saying like is it a weird inverted kind of feminism where she's like they're leaving that out and they're not saying that she also has to do that it felt more like how dare you not include being a mother and like and i totally it's like that it it is that weird feminism angle where you're like Mm. yeah but we've seen how many stories have we seen that talk about that like we don't ever get to see like the mom just having her own life you know like what does that look like i'm so we we know what what it is to be exhausted and care for children and we know it's really really hard job Mm -hmm. and it's an important one but can't other things also be important you know Mm. do you ever see punchline with tom hanks and sally field not a lot of people have it's it's like Sally Field is a, a mom who lives in, I think, in New Jersey, going into New York, doing sets. She's getting really good at stand-up. Tom Hanks is like the popular comic at that club. It's from like 19, late 80s. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's just such a weird flip of that where when she goes home, her family is horrible to her. They're just like, you're not funny. Why are you doing, like, why are you destroying this family? And it's... <laughs> I recommend that movie to anybody who's interested in stand-up because it's such a weird picture of 80s stand-up. Yes. Oh, my God. I'm writing it down. I'm absolutely writing it down. 
punchline. Punch just line. my my way to sell it to people is in this vision of stand up, the club has a locker room where everyone's like getting ready, like oh tuning my. an accordion, like amazing. That's testing amazing. out balloon animals, like <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, I forgot also about Obvious Child with Oh yeah. Uh, Jenny Slate, like yep. that one was so fascinating how they did that. Mm-hmm. I love, I forgot about that one. That Ooh. one was really. I'll have to do an up about that too. This is yeah. a good, good brainstorm sesh. Great. I love, I love a good brainstorm sesh. Yeah. <laughs> I start with a, um, a bad one to then get to a good one, but what's your worst stand up related memory or experience that you're comfortable sharing? Yeah, I got a lot. Um, <laughs> one of the worst. Give us a list. One of the worst ones was, uh, shoot, I'm trying to think of. I have two that come to mind. I'm trying to think of like which one's more awful. I think. Okay, I think it's this one. So it was like I had I had sprained my ankle. The reason I had an ankle surgery is because I would sprain my ankle like literally every year. So it was one of the years I sprained my ankle before I got surgery mm. in New York, and it was my first show where I could walk without crutches. So I had my boot on still. I was feeling like very sad because I was like, I can't believe I did this again. But I'm like back. We're doing it. It was at Broadway Comedy Club in New York, and I it was a bringer show. So I had like five or six people there. It was a nine o'clock or 10 o'clock show. Um, and I finally was like getting ready to like go up. And the guy, the like host was like, Hey, we had a drop in. We're going to bump you one slot. You'll go right up after him. And I was like, okay, like that happens. No big deal. Um, and the host gets up to introduce this guy. And he was like, you've seen him on Conan O'Brien and late night with Seth Meyers. Give it up for Daniel Simonson. Oh, <laughs> and I was like, oh fuck. Me. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, and obviously he fucking destroyed because he's amazing. And he probably did like a 20 minute set. And like, it was like mm. 11 o'clock at that point, maybe 1130. And like cleared half the room out because it was like they came and saw what they wanted. Like they finally got their like big name dropping. And then I had to go up Mm. and after him and I was like already feeling like shit about myself. And I was like, aren't you guys lucky to have me next? (laughs) And then I proceeded to do like a seven minute set about Harry Potter, which like four people like related to. And I was I was just like (laughs) trying to like work on like expanding some of my jokes. And like, Mm -hmm. it was just not the time. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. not the time. But I was so new. I didn't have anything else to like dig into my back pocket for mm-hmm. and like i had like a friend from work that came with her boyfriend and i was just like i'm so sorry i'm so sorry that was such a bad show and she was like no no it's fine but then she like hasn't never came to one again mm-hmm. and i was like yeah it was it was bad for both of us lily like it was it was not, i'm sorry <laughs> i'm really sorry <laughs> yeah very important to then what's the person gonna say when they come out after when something is hard to follow yeah some people seem to perfect it but that's always got to be tough what is then your best stand-up related memory 
there's also two that come to mind, but the one that seems more obvious to me is honestly like my graduation show from my first class of stand-up mm-hmm. that I did because I worked so hard on those five, that five minute set mm-hmm. and I was so nervous and it was a, like, I was like, I don't know if I can do this. Like, I really don't know this. And it was at Gotham comedy club and it was packed. Like the whole room was packed. There were so many people there and it was kind of like the first time I was like letting myself try alone. Like, like, like I previously, like I was always like in the group project and I was like trying to do it by myself. And mm-hmm. I did, I did a set like my first, the first half of my set was how my weekend was ruined because I took a Harry Potter quiz and I found out that I was a Hufflepuff. <laughs> and then the second half was about my city bike yeast infection. <laughs> and like the reaction I got from that audience was like, unreal like i felt like i had like taken all the drugs in the world (laughs) i was like yes like suck my dick everybody like i did it i made people laugh by myself and it was like it gave me the juice that made me want to keep going you know Mm -hmm. like it i didn't flop i didn't bomb like i genuinely enjoyed being on stage even though i was like shaking like a leaf up there and the woman that like was hosting messed up my name. Like she said, she said it, she called me someone else entirely. And I, mm. and I it, like, it almost was like perfect. Cause it was like, it let me kick into my norm be like, it's not totally fine. It happens all the time. You know, like get yeah. a quick joke right out the gate without planning it. And then it just was like, Oh, I think I could like really start loving this. And I think if that show would have went poorly, it, I, I would not be here, you know? And like, if my teacher she was like, I remember being really nervous, like beforehand. And she was like, Katie, you're never going to have a problem because you just have so much to say. Cause I would write like all of this and it would take me forever to edit it down. She's like, that's mm. going to be the hardest thing is like getting your jokes tighter and tighter and tighter. And like, if she wasn't like, you got to keep going, you got to keep doing this. Like, I don't know. Like I do need that validation, unfortunately from people, but like, mm-hmm. I, I will, I, I remember like going out and we went to a bar afterwards, like in Manhattan. And I was like, I'm living the life, you know, like <laughs> smoking a long cigarette, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> send the car around. We're going downtown, you know, like, yeah. I, so I felt so like I'm here, I'm doing it. I'm doing the fucking thing. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, you're doing the fucking thing out here. Glad you moved. Glad we ran into each other Me at that too. show. Good to meet new comedy fans and comics and people fucking doing the thing. Um, Thank you so much for asking me to do this. It was such a nice surprise. I was so excited. Yeah. Um, I said your name right, Katie Novotny, yes? Nailed it. Yeah, I have that name in my Midwestern town, too. There's a few people with that name. So I was like, oh, I know that. Nailed it. Nailed it. Where can we find you? What should we point our attention to to hear more from you? Instagram is my main social media platform. I'm at Kath Novotny, K-A-T-H-N-O-V as in Victor O, T as in Thomas, N as in Nancy, Y, as my dad always says over the phone, to telemarketers. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the, yeah, I very funny reels. Yeah, you're putting up a lot of content on there. I do. I, I used to do a reel a day during height of pandemic and now real life comes into play, but Mm -hmm. I too try to put stuff out multiple times a week. Um, I also write like with the prompt magazine and I try to share that stuff on my social feed too. I am on TikTok, but I'm more of a lurker 
than a poster over there. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I'll let the Gen Zers uh, do their thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then you can check out Guilty, the web series, if you're a Catholic head and want to mm-hmm. go on that journey. It's a very fun one. And uh, yeah, I think that's that's it. Those are the big ones. People should check out Katie's stuff. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, James. Thank you for listening to Don't Sit in the Front. Please rate and subscribe and leave me a review. You can follow the show on Twitter with the handle don't underscore sit or don't sit in the front, all one word, on Instagram. Our music is composed by Chris Helking and our cover art is provided by Memory Bloom Studio. Thank you so much for listening and just remember to always punch up and keep swinging.